Good morning. It's really good to be here. I'm glad to see all y'all. Um, my name is Tracy Payne. I am a covenant member here at Redeemer. And this morning, our scripture reference is Acts 1, verse 12 through 14. And I don't have to ask you to stand. You already have, so that's awesome. All right, here we go. We are in the ESV, by the way. They then returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is God's word. Thank you, Thank God. You, God. All right. Thank you, Tracy. Um, if you're interested in being a scripture reader, if you'd like um, to stand up and, and center our moment of worship on God's word, we've got some forms in the back, and that's open to anybody. So you guys, um, please uh, join us in uh, lifting up God's word above our words. So, uh, good morning. Again, good morning. It is a good morning. You guys feel it? It is a good morning. Um, my name is Ryan Owens. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Um, last Sunday, our other pastor, Brian, who you heard from earlier, he led us through the first 11 verses of Acts. And so, uh, we're going to do our three-week soft launch series in Acts 1 showing how the church is wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Brian uh, spoke to us last week about how uh, the church is a people dependent on God. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things like we see in the book of Acts with the apostles, to do amazing things like Jesus says that we would do, but also to do ordinary things, to live our ordinary normal lives. We depend on the Spirit every moment, okay? So um, Brian kind of posed uh, a question for me in transitioning into this sermon. What does that depending on the Spirit look like? And so over the next two weeks, I'm going to share with you uh, two pivotal um, foundational tools that Scripture talks about in depending on God for everything. And so today we're going to talk about prayer. What does depending on the Holy Spirit look like? Prayer. We pray. Okay? And so I'm going to go ahead and give you my outline. That's our main thought. What does depending on the Spirit look like? We pray. Okay? Now, we've got two other questions. Why do we pray? And how do we pray? So for you note takers, you can leave some spaces in there. Why do we pray? We pray because we believe Jesus. And we pray because we follow Jesus. How do we pray? We pray continually and we pray together. Okay? So there's my outline to kind of guide our time in this passage. It's only three verses, but there's a lot there. I'm excited um, to share with you what the Lord showed me this week. So first, we have to understand if we truly believe Jesus' words in verse 8, 
that he will send us the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, when the disciples are like, hey, you said you're leaving. What is happening? Because we need you here. Um, You're the whole purpose for this whole thing. And he says, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will send you a helper. And he will guide you and he will teach you all things. If we truly believe Jesus, we have to pray. We spend our whole lives wrestling with our attempts to be our own gods or find our own gods, right? We think somehow we can muster up enough energy to work hard enough, to make enough money, to be attractive enough to win the approval and success and security of the world or even ourselves. But I'll tell you that we are easily distracted quickly discouraged, and effortlessly exhausted. That kind of pursuit will only last so long because we are broken and needy people. We need the Holy Spirit, so we pray. So what does needing the Holy Spirit look like? What does depending on God in our ordinary, everyday lives look like? In our rushing to work, lives, in our eating and drinking with our families' lives, in our doing homework or mowing the lawn with our kids' lives, because this isn't just the life of a Christian, Sunday mornings. We have Monday through Saturday to live, and we don't only turn it on in here. We're led by the Spirit the rest of the week. This is a culmination of our worship and our prayer, okay? So let's look at verse 12. How do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. First, we notice immediately that the apostles obeyed. Right? So Jesus said, Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And they did it. They hesitated a little bit because, you know, Jesus disappeared in this flash of light, this Shekinah glory, this mysterious disappearance. And they're kind of dazed. And the, 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 the men, we presume they're angels, were saying there, and they're like, hey, snap out of it. He told you to go back and wait. So they did. Immediately they went back to Jerusalem and they waited. Notice that there were no preparations There was no procedure. There was no, well, hold on. Let me check and see how that fits into my schedule, which is often where I put obedience and prayer and submission to my to-do list, right? They believed Jesus, that he would send the Holy Spirit. They believed that they needed the help. Do we believe that we need the help? Do we believe that we need God's help and that we have it? Um, The the other um, piece of verse 12 that we see is that uh, they obeyed immediately because they knew exactly what to do. Jesus said, go back and wait, and they went back and they prayed. Now, if you look, it says that um, they went to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. And 
to me reading through that initially, I was just like, okay, why is that in here? It's a Sabbath day's journey away. Um, that's just superfluous. Luke, being a, a detail person, physician, just wanted to include every last bit of detail. But that's actually really important. All of that has connotations throughout Scripture. This is, um, it, we see at the end of Scripture, this is where Jesus is coming back. It's prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. We see it in Zechariah. They, these, these disciples, these apostles would have had those connotations in their heads knowing. But what, what would have been most fresh on their minds is the fact that this, because this was a Sabbath day's journey away, this was Jesus' favorite place to go and pray. It's as far as he could walk on the Sabbath was to Olivet. And we know Mark 1, Mark 6, throughout the other gospel narratives, we know that Jesus would leave the city away from the, the rush life, even on Sabbath. He would leave the city to pray. And so as they're walking back from Olivet, you can imagine in their, in their memories, they're thinking, we've done this before. We've made this trek a lot. And they knew exactly what they were to do because Jesus taught them that their whole lives are dependent on God in prayer. From Olivet to home, everything is about depending on God in prayer. So I, now I have to ask, based on those, those two why answers, do we depend on the Spirit in prayer? Do you believe the words of Jesus? Do you believe that you need a helper? Do you believe that Jesus is true? That he is God? And that he will send the Holy Spirit to help you? Do you believe? And do you actually follow him? Do you follow him with your whole life? Do we follow him on Sunday and Monday through Saturday? Jesus did not just say pray on the Sabbath. He said pray always. Paul says pray always. Do you believe Jesus and do you follow him with your whole life, your ordinary life, when it's good, when it's bad, when it's in the middle? Um story time, and we'll see if I can make it through this without crying. Um, in December, my wife and I moved from Abilene, where we were sent out um, with a whole lot of love and support from the well. Um, we moved back to San Angelo after about six years of being gone, and, um, you know, you sell your house, you buy a new house, you plant your roots, and you get going. That was not our story. We waited four months to be able to sell our house in Abilene and to buy a new house here. And it was the hardest four months of my life. I've been with my wife in labor with three of our kids, and as intense and insane and stressful as that is, it didn't last four months long. This was a trial. 
even this far removed from it, we look back and we say, we suffered a lot. And we didn't know what to do. We couldn't sell our house. We had buyers fall through. We had repairs that needed to be made. And the only thing that we knew to do was to pray. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I'm going to be really honest, we got sick of praying. Have you ever reached that point? Have you ever reached that point where you're like, God, I'm just saying the same thing over and over. Do I even mean it anymore? We got sick of the same answers from the realtor. We, got, we had no more tears left. We're thankful that it was only four months because it was a really, really hard four months. And it wasn't the living with my in-laws with three kids that was hard, <laughs> okay? It, it was the waiting. Waiting is hard. Praying while you're waiting is hard. You can rest in that. You can be okay there. But one of the most important moments in that four months that is the most fresh, more than the pain, the most fresh memory I have, it's it's like it happened last week. Um, We gather in this room every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 o'clock, to pray. So that's an open invitation. Please join us in here. Before we were here, we were in my in-law's home and in our home when we finally got one. And so we were in uh, my in-law's home, and uh, we just didn't have the energy to, to lead the prayer that night. So Brian led prayer for us that night, and I told him, I was like, man, I'm probably not even, I'm not going to pray out loud. I'm, I don't know if I'm going to sit and pray quietly. Um, and he, I mean, we're, we're close and so he, he knew what he needed to do, and he um, just asked everybody at the beginning, hey, we're going to spend tonight, we're going to pray for Ryan and Kendall, and we're going to pray that God would be near to them. This is the tears part. That was good. It was that moment that through our ugly crying and through our snotty Kleenex that we heard the prayers of our church for us. And it was an hour long. It was like it didn't stop. And we didn't have to do anything. And our circumstances didn't change. We didn't wake up and see a text from the realtor that say, hey, you got somebody that wants to pay cash. No miracle happened. But what did happen, and what really was the true miracle, was that the Holy Spirit was with us, and he comforted us. God was present in our suffering. He was there. He's compassionate. He's good and gracious. And he was with us. And I don't tell you this to, to try and say, hey, look what we did. We prayed. Um, I don't feel like that's a success story. But I tell you this to show that we are weak 
and we need God, and we need each other's prayers, okay? Prayer is for those of us who suffer. How do you depend on God in your suffering? For you that have mourned the loss of a child, how do you depend on the spirit who've been wounded by your parents' divorce or betrayal of a friend? How do you depend on God in your suffering? It's almost like we have to get to this point where we finally realize that we're broken and we need God, right? It's not almost like that. It is like that. And so we ask God to keep us in that place. God, keep me remembering my need for you. Keep me remembering my weakness and my brokenness. We don't have the strength to be God for ourselves. Brian reminded me of a quote this week. He said, since when, and this is Jack Miller. Um, he's a, a pastor from the 60s and 70s in California. He said, since when did we think that it was our business to reform ourselves? That's God's business. We don't have the strength to love God enough, to love our neighbors enough, to make it through suffering, to make it through daily living. Luke, um, the author of our book, Acts, he also wrote a gospel narrative, Luke. Um, he shares with us the names of the apostles. Now, this list of the apostles' names is not just like, okay, well, here we are. These are all the people that are here praying. There's a lot more people there. He lists these names as a callback to his gospel narrative to say, hey, I told you a lot about these guys. So let's look. Let's read these names. Tracy did a great job of reading them. We'll see if I can um, come even a little bit close. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, which, by the way, was a pla uh, place of prayer. It was the room in the house dedicated for prayer. They went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. That list starts with Peter. Peter, we get the most information about in the Gospels. Probably because Peter didn't shut up. Peter didn't stop making mistakes. He's so fickle. He's so human. He's so like us. Peter, having the faith to walk on water, in the next breath, doubts so much he's drowning. Peter, who rightly declares Jesus as the Messiah, the one who would save the world, but then rebukes him for telling him how he did it, how he would do it. Jesus says, well, I've got to die on the cross. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This man is fickle. He's weak. He's human. He's like us. How many times in our lives do we contradict what Jesus is actually doing? But Jesus has the grace to lead us anyways. 
How many times do we have faith to walk on water in one moment in such a doubt that we're drowning the next? It's Peter that goes and prays. We also see John and James, these brothers who are so full of themselves, right? The sons of thunder is what Jesus nicknamed them. And if you've seen The Chosen, I'm just going to plug that. Um, I'm going to try not to do that in every sermon. But if you've seen The Chosen, the episode where they get their nickname, I man, that messed me up. they they angry about the Samaritans. And that's when Jesus kind of jabs at him a little bit. I'm going to call you the, the sons of thunder. These men were so prideful. They, they just knew. They were convinced they were Jesus' favorite disciples. They had their mom go to Jesus and ask if they could have his right and his left hand in heaven. Man, that, that sounds a lot like my pride. that I have anything to contribute to the kingdom of God. That someday my name would be written on a building, maybe on a few books. That my life would glorify myself. And it's these men that return and pray. Look at the other names in that list. How many of them have you seen stories about we see Matthew, Philip. How many of them will you see stories again in the rest of Scripture? Very few of them. Most of these men are unimpressive. Again, much like us. We don't have to be impressive because we're promised the Spirit. That's all we need. So these broken men with broken lives that Jesus comes and transforms. They're unimpressive, prideful, fickle, a lot like us. These men give us an example of obedience, an example of depending on the Spirit in prayer. So now, let's look. Let, let just While we're still thinking about the book of Luke and the life of these men, let's also include Jesus in that picture before Acts 1, before this miraculous ascension into heaven, Jesus lived with these ordinary men. Jesus lived an ordinary life. Jesus walked to and from the bathroom. He ate, he drank, he told jokes, laughed at jokes. Don't tell Brian this, but if coffee were around... Maybe it was, I don't know. Jesus may have put creamer in his coffee. He told me to take that joke out. And I told him I wasn't going to do it. The point is, Jesus, fully God, also fully man. God took on skin and bones, moved into our neighborhood to be with us to live like us, a life that is perfect. Jesus never wronged any man or woman. He never abused any child with his words or his hands. He never sinned against God and broke any of his laws. He lived a perfect life. 
all because he had to do it on our behalf. He chose to do it on our behalf, just like he chose to go to the cross so that his perfect life would be the perfect sacrifice for our broken lives. God, nailed to a cross by his creation. Like the song that Paige sang, murdered by his accusers. And it was this life, this death, and the resurrection that followed, because that's not the end of the story, right? You go back to Luke's gospel, Jesus was buried put in a tomb, and they put a heavy rock over it so no one could open it except for the Holy Spirit. And God opened that tomb, and Jesus was not in there. Jesus rose from the grave. Come on, guys. He rose from the grave, and then he revealed himself to his disciples, and he ascended into heaven where he is now at the right hand of the Father. That's good news. And he did it all for you. He did it to restore the cosmos back to their glory of worshiping God. He did it so that we could be restored to our original relationship with God. Jesus lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserved, and rose from the dead so that we could pray. We have access to our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus did for us. This ordinary man, yet fully God. It's okay if we have a hard time wrapping our minds around that because it defies the laws of nature. We have a hard time understanding and believing the promises of God. That's why we need the Spirit. So we pray. Now, we're going to get into the how, the how we pray. There is so many helpful tools, but I will say there is no silver bullet. You can try them, and you're going to keep trying them. You're going to run through them, and they're going to get tired. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic formula, no magic potion you can take to just finally make it to where prayer is not effort. There's a reason Paul says labor with me in prayer. Because it's a constant battle against our flesh that doesn't want to pray. That doesn't want unification with God. Prayer's a place, simply put, prayer's a place for you to be honest. With yourself, but also with God. Prayer being a conversation with our maker. Achieved by us achieved for us by Jesus. We get to talk to God, right? It's a place for us to be honest with him, to share with him how we feel, to share with him our anger, to share with him our disappointments, to share with him our joy and our happiness and our thanksgiving. Do we? That's usually the last thing on my mind, to thank God. He hears so much about what I need. But prayer is a place for you to be with God, not a place for you to perform for God. Don't I need to say that again? 
Prayer is a place for you to be with God, not a place for you to perform for God. So how do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Do we pray? How? How do we pray? There's a lot of help in Scripture. I would say either before or while you're using any of those helpful tools. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of articles. There's a lot of um, guides. This is a God-given prayer guide. The Psalms in particular. There are Psalms that are so honest, I feel guilty reading them. David and the other psalmists were not afraid to be honest with God. You don't have to be afraid to be honest with God. One, he already knows, but also he can take it. He's God. He wants your honesty. Let's read verse 14 to figure out how we're going to pray. All these, all these apostles, but also... There's more people in the room. All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Jesus' brothers are included in that list because these men were so close to him that they thought, they, they couldn't actually see who, who he really was, who he really is. They were so close, they would follow him around saying, okay, you're going crazy, come on, let's go home. Let's get you out of the spotlight. We're keeping you out of prison today. How many times do we push down the spirit to just stay quiet? But these men are included in this list. That they go and they pray. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves. That's our first how. We pray continually. And it says with one accord, so we also pray together. Let's start with continually. Pastor and commentary writer Kent Hughes, he's a pastor in Chicago, um, and he's got a lot of helpful books on uh, pastoral counseling. He says, a prayer unrepeated and quickly forgotten bears no fruit. Almost sounds like a proverb. A prayer unrepeated and quickly forgotten bears no fruit. If we really believe Jesus, if we really believe that we will get the Holy Spirit, that he will be with us and he will comfort us and he will teach us and guide us, if we really believe that, why aren't we praying? Why do we stop praying We're told the story in Luke 11 of the, the parable of the persistent neighbor. Okay, just put yourself in this, in this picture for a second. You're at home asleep, and all of a sudden you just hear banging on the door. What do you do? Go check it out, right? And you realize, oh gosh, it's my neighbor Pete. Pete, what do you want? Hey, I just need some bread. Go home. It's two o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? So he shoes him off, goes back to bed, 
again, banging on the door. Oh, if this is Pete, I swear. <laughs> hey, I need some more bread. I ran out. I need bread. I have somebody staying with me. Pete, it's 2 o'clock. Come back tomorrow morning. I've got kids asleep. Go back to bed. Pete pretends to walk off and he comes back. This is in Luke 11, this story. Not contemporized, of course. We don't know who the guy's, what the guy's name is. But finally, the man in the home gives him some bread. Why? Jesus says, if not only because of his persistence. So then how much more will your God in heaven give you what you need? Because you're his child. He says, knock. And that knock in the original language is keep knocking and the door will be answered. Ask and keep asking and you will receive. Seek and keep seeking and you will find. Pray continually. Don't give up. It's in the continual prayer that our belief in Jesus and our following Jesus are rooted and anchored in our need for the Holy Spirit, in our need for God to be with us. The second how is that we pray together. And we will, this is Acts 1, there's 28 chapters in Acts, and I think it's like every four or five chapters. We see a new, it's like a start over. The apostles prayed together and then something incredible happens. Then the apostles prayed together and something incredible happens. Richard Loveless, he's the author of a book called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And if I've told you about that book, um, I'm still halfway through it. I have been for the last three or four months. Um, He says repeatedly in that book, it's a... um, pretty much a church history on revivals and renewals and awakenings. What happens for the great awakening to happen? What happens in the church for God's spirit to move in a place? And he says, it's when people pray continually and together that the spirit of God falls on a place. This is exactly what we've been praying for every Wednesday night to see the spirit of God move in our city Revival is not like this crazy, emphatic expression of craziness. Revival and renewal, awakening in the church, is when the Spirit falls on His church and gives power to His church to make new disciples, to bring people to faith that have never believed, and to grow and mature the church, to bring strengthening and encouragement to the people that do believe. Don't you want more of that? Guys, that's what we pray for on Wednesdays. That's why we pray this morning. That's why we pray every Wednesday night. That's why we go home and we pray for these same things. My family can attest to the power of God responding to his people, praying continually and together. Kim and Tom Knopf can attest to the power of God responding to a people praying continually and together. How many times did we fear for Kim's death? That we didn't know 
if she was taking her last breath. That we didn't know if she would be able to speak a complete sentence. That we didn't know if she'd be able to walk, but we prayed. We prayed and God was with us. And God was with Kim. And he is with us. And he is with Kim. And he has performed a miracle for her. The last update we heard from Tom was that with a boot, Kim is likely to be able to walk, right? What? We pray because we depend on the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. We depend on him to be with us and in us. So what's keeping you from praying? What's keeping you from praying continually? What's keeping you from praying together? Do you believe Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? How do we depend on the Spirit for our everyday lives in the ordinary and the extraordinary? We pray. We pray because we need God. We pray because we believe God. And we pray because we follow him continually and together. We're going to come back into a time of worship because why else are we here but to worship our God and our King? While we worship, pray. While we worship, uh, we've got communion set up in the back. I would encourage you to take the bread that was broken for you on the cross, the blood that was poured out for you on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, an expression of your dependence and your need in taking those, a recommitment, a weekly reminder that we need God to be with us and in us every single day. Take the cup, take the juice, take the bread, And give thanks to God for his sacrifice that he gave us in his son. Let's pray. Holy Father, we trust you to be what we cannot be. We trust you to do what we cannot do. God, we need you. Would you teach us to pray? Would you unite us in prayer? Would you let us not forget that you're with us and ready for us to come to you every single day? Would would you help us not to just try to force prayer, shoehorn it into our schedules, but to make our schedules oriented around prayer, around being with you? God, we are grateful for your son, Jesus. And what you've given to us in salvation through him is why we're here. It's why we pray. It's why we worship you this morning, God.